CAFO's theme for this year is planted, not buried. And so all throughout the year, including the CAFO 2022 Summit in September in Atlanta, we'll be exploring how so many of the things that we experience in this world feel like burial, pain, loss, constraint. The Bible never takes these things lightly. It names them. It grieves over them, like Jesus at the tomb of his friend Lazarus. And as we'll hear from our guest today, somewhere around two-thirds of all the Psalms are lament for hurt and sorrow around us and within us. But although Scripture takes loss and sorrow seriously, it never gives them the final word. It reminds us that even the places of our greatest loss and disappointment can become the places of God's greatest work, both in us and ultimately through us. At the last CAFO Summit, I had the privilege of sitting down with Matt Redman, and I'm sure many of you know him as a singer and songwriter, a Grammy winner, a worship leader, but his story also includes many experiences that felt a great deal like burial. In some ways, they were burials, and yet, through God's grace and choices that Matt made to participate with God in his grace, those burials became plantings. In many ways, they became the source not only of Matt's faith today, but also of the beautiful songs and worship that has brought so much good to so many people all over the world, including me. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with Matt as much as I did, seeing in his story a glimpse of how things that feel to us like burial in Christ are always plantings. I also hope you'll come away with a clearer sense of how, even in times when we feel like dead, dried out seeds stuffed down into the earth in darkness and enclosure and loss, even then, our own small choices, participating with God's grace, can help cultivate a spirit of planting in our own lives as well. Welcome to Justice and the Inner Life presented by the Christian Alliance for Orphans. We'll explore what it takes to sustain a heart of justice and mercy over a lifetime. Here's your host, Jed Medefend. Well, I am here at the CAFO 2021 Summit with Mr. Matt Redmond. Matt, welcome. Thank you so much. Yeah, so good to have you here as part of the conference and everything. It's wonderful. I've met some wonderful people today. Yeah, man. Matt, your your music, it is full of of joy. You know, you sing of the land that is plentiful, where streams of abundance flow. But you you also speak very frankly about the really hard things, about walking through the wilderness. And I'd love to just start by, by asking you why that has been so important to you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that song, Blessed Be a Name, that you're referring to there, wrote that with my wife uh, 20 years ago. And actually, very soon after 9-11, mm-hmm. and, and that very much shows up in the song, um, because we were on sabbatical in California, and we decided uh, we were actually meant to be flying from England on September the 12th. And then September 11th, we're watching TV, obviously think we were not going to be flying tomorrow, but we did get on one of the first flights out of the UK um, a few days later, and ended up in California, and traveling around these churches on sabbatical, and realizing that the preachers are doing a wonderful job right now. The pastors, the preachers, helping us walk through this season. And uh, there's so much brokenness. There's, 
there's um, feeling of insecurity in the nation. There's, so, there's anger, there's sadness. There's so many things wrapped up in, in this moment. Mm-hmm. But where, where are the songs? What, mm. what do we have uh, as our worship vocabulary for a moment like this? And I, I realize as a worship leader, we're really lacking in, in songs for a moment like this. We don't seem to have quite the right um, song choice or voca- vocabulary to, to process a moment like this. So soon after we wrote Blessed Be Your Name, I think it's probably got a lot of other elements in there. Part of my testimony, my wife's testimony, um, partly obviously some words from the book of Job, which we stole out of scripture. Yes. And that's always a good thing to do. Instead of getting sued, you actually get encouraged, you know, mm. <laughs> and, uh, and take as much scripture as you want. And then and then this, this song shows up. And to me, I guess to answer the question, to me why it's important is because it's biblical, and and it's real life, yes. you know. So in other yes. words, it's it's a the Psalms are full of this kind of thing, um, but also people's real lives are full of this kind of thing. We need these songs that that uh, help help us in these moments become the soundtrack uh, to help us journey through these kinds of things. Yes, yes, absolutely. And and yeah, you think of the Psalms, and you have both taste and see that the Lord is good, yeah, and darkness is my only friend yeah, right in the totally. same and sometimes in the very same song yeah and so in our song it's like blessed be your name when the sun's shining down on me so you can tell we didn't write that in england because that doesn't <laughs> doesn't actually happen in england every, so every we, we wrote that on. in california <laughs> um but then blessed be your name you know when when it's when there's pain in the offering when it's mm-hmm. when it's a costly thing to say i worship you i trust you uh, and that's one thing i knew about the song at the beginning was th- this a lot of songs they don't cost you anything to sing, but sometimes this song will cost you something to sing. To say "Blessed be your name" in some of these scenarios, or, or even to say "You give and take away," to realize that you have to really trust the sovereignty of God over your life and His Father's heart for you to sing some some of these things sometimes. And and so I don't really shy away from when a song costs you something to sing it. I think that's probably a good thing. Mm. Um, but but like I say, the Psalms, there's just everything in there. Every human emotion you can imagine like rejoicing and celebration and then angst and pain and, and like you say it's not just one or two psalms it's it's running throughout them um the late eugene peterson he estimates about 70 percent of the content of the psalms yes. is lament based yeah which is fascinating um so so we so we need our modern day versions of those we need that where where are those songs that help us um deal with every emotion and yeah. all these different yeah. scenarios. Now, it, it seems to me that the hymns of the church often have that. I mean, you've got yeah. hymns like, it is well with my soul, be still my soul, right? Yeah. But but it's been, in the more recent decades, it seems like there's just fewer songs of lament. Why, why yeah. do you think that is? Well, and I think we're doing a bit better now. I mean, the uh-huh, last, yeah, yeah. you know, 10, 20 years, you know, I, I think maybe just these things can be a bit cyclical and... Mm-hmm seasonal we tend to swing into one um thing or another i mean for example the imminence and transcendence of god you know the fact that god's transcendent completely otherly and off the charts of anything we could imagine or fathom and then the fact that he's imminent he gets up close and personal very involved with our lives if if you look through church history and different streams of the church we tend to sometimes swing between one or the other but of course the beautiful mix is when you're right in the middle 
and you're appreciating the holiness of God, then it makes you appreciate the grace and the love of God even more than you were before because you think, how could it be that someone like him would want something to do with someone like me? And maybe it's a similar thing where we sometimes can tend to swing to one extreme or the other and you all the time you're trying to find that healthy balance. And, of course, on a subject like this, I think the starting point is that God himself identifies with suffering. He's, you know, he, he was a man of sorrows, familiar with suffering, mm. ac- acquainted with with grief. And yes. uh, I just, I have a song that's um, about to release soon called Son of Suffering. And it's about this, like, it, it says the perfect son of God in all his innocence, he walking in the dirt with you and me. Mm. He knows what living is. He's acquainted with our grief, a man of sorrows, son of suffering. Blood and tears, how can it be a, a God who weeps, a God who bleeds? Uh Oh, praise the one who would reach for me. And and for me, that's an amazing starting point, yes. that we're not even in this on our own. It's an astounding thing to me that a, um, the heart of God would feel pain. The heart of God would immerse himself into suffering. And, and that's astonishing. A God, whoever, you wouldn't make that up, would you? A God who bleeds, yes. a God who weeps. Yes. It's, it's amazing to me. So that to me, that's the starting point. And... and um, you know, I, I love to remind people of that when I lead worship. You're not in this on your own. He's gone before you in it. That's so good. So good. Yeah, that, that is the, the root of all. Even more profound, though significant, as the Psalms are, as, as our model of what true yeah. worship is and that it can include lament, yeah. even more profound than that is that we worship the God who has tasted yeah. our suffering. And you mentioned the hymn writers, and that they do do an amazing job at, at covering that spectrum of of life a bit like like the psalms does i mean remember charles wesley um he even wrote songs about death he has one song it starts oh lovely appearance of death hmm. and you think what what is he going on about oh lovely appearance of death what sight upon earth is so fair not not all the pageants of life can with the dead body compare and he it sounds like craziness but as he goes more into it you realize what is happening he's standing over the dead body of his friend and he's saying, you'll never be tempted again. You'll never sin again. You'll never suffer again. You'll never weep again. He's almost jealous, mm. you know, mm. and and you think that would be too extreme for us to write now, you know, but it's an interesting, it's an interesting thing. He yes. Actually, Wesley also, his very last hymn, one verse long, he's on his deathbed, age 81, and he di- dictates this last hymn to his wife, and it says... Um, in age and feebleness extreme, who shall a helpless worm redeem? Jesus, my only hope thou art, strength of my failing flesh and heart. Oh, could I catch one smile from thee and drop into eternity? And again, I just, I, I mean, I love the, the sense, you know he knows Jesus. Yes. You know he's 100% sure of where he's going and who he's going to. But also the fact, again, it's just embracing, it's showing up in the, in a part of life that maybe we would shy away from sometimes. Yes. And he's just yes. injecting truth and hope and faith into that moment. Wow. I, I love that. I love the words, and I love even more the thought of an aging man who served the Lord faithfully over eight-plus decades, coming to the end and having that level of confidence yeah. and of release. Yeah. And you just think to yourself, that's, that's how I want to end too. And even the fact, yeah, absolutely. And even the fact that... He can't stop writing songs. Even on his <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. he's so yes. like, I mean, yes. I think he wrote about three and a half thousand or something. Wow. But, 
but the fact that he's there and he's on his last yeah. breath yeah. and he can't he can't stop singing about Jesus. Totally. That's that is really great. Well, and it's it is remarkable to me yesterday actually we were talking in the in the main session about how not only do we see the most vivid emblem of God entering our suffering on the cross, you know, at that point in time and around 30 AD, but the scripture reveals that God continues to be the God who suffers with, in the sense that he is the, the father of compassion, right? Yeah. Which that word in, in both Greek and in English kind of has the co-passion suffering with or yeah. feeling pain with. And and you think of, of uh, when Saul was on the road to Damascus, right? And he's there and he's, he's persecuting Christians, he's killing them, yeah. and the risen Christ appears to him, but doesn't just say, you know, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting my people, right? He says, why are you persecuting me? me yeah. And, and the, that level of identification with our suffering, of wow. feeling with, that is that is profoundly true all throughout Scripture, not not just when Jesus walked the earth, but but in yeah. continuation. Uh, it's an ama- amazing thought. Marvelous. Well, Matt, I, I know you have shared in, in uh, your book, Finding God in, in Hard Times, which I read recently and really enjoyed and appreciated, um, just that, that while your life has been full to the brim with many, many blessings, you've got a wonderful wife, five children, four boys, right? Yeah. Um, and one girl, which I have, I'm the flip, I have four <laughs> girls, one boy, and such blessings. But but you you also have tasted pain in your life, and particularly early on, where your first seven years were... were largely a joyful childhood, and then at seven, that really took a turn. Yeah, um, so I came home from school one day when I was seven and found out my dad had died. And then my, um, my, I wasn't told at the time, but he actually had taken his own mm. life. So I got told that a little bit later. And to be honest, it was like a new shockwave because it brought a lot more questions. Like of a second like, death almost. What, yeah, was it anything to do with me? And did he not love us enough to... Yeah. Staying around, and and it was actually depression, you know, that was the the root behind everything for him. But, um, but you know, it was it was like a two waves of grief, I guess, yeah. because of that. Yeah. And then mum remarried, and th- those weren't very good times. Um, the guy she married was abusive, and he ended up in jail, and mm. and so it was it was a really turbulent few years there as um, going into my teens and um, but I'd I'd become a Christian age 10 at a soccer stadium in England uh, the late Louis Palau was is that right preaching. Louis Palau yeah so he he be, uh, I became a Christian through him and then got to know him in, in recent years I've lived worship alongside him in that's really cool Central cool. Park and Times Square <laughs> and all over the place and and actually he, he went to be with Jesus a few months ago and I, I went and sang at the the uh, memorial service, mm. and it was just really a wonderful celebration of who he was and uh, how he followed Jesus, and it was it was it was very special. But I became a Christian through him, and that just gave me a great foundation for those years that followed. Mm. You know, I think sometimes when people suffer, it can send you off on two roads. Some people go down the road of bitterness and complaint and struggling to forgive God or something, and you know, or you don't want anything to do with him now. Mm-hmm. For me, I got on the other road by the grace of God where I, I thought I need you more than ever and I pursued him more than I had before. And really, I would say a lot of what I do now in worship music has its foundations in that time mm. because 
really worship music was one of the most stabilizing things for me. I would be at church and singing these songs and realize just how much that they made sense to me and they felt helpful and hopeful. And so I went back and started playing them at home. I, I, I started to play guitar because I wanted to have had these songs more than just once a week at church. Um, and so the more I got into that, the more I realized, oh, songs is actually a really good way to process your, your, your relationship with God, yes. process your pain. And, and like we already talked about, you've got these perfect examples in the Psalms. Um, I remember I used to cry myself to sleep sometimes with Psalm 121. I lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? The, my help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And I would just find these things so stabilizing and so reassuring. And it was like in, in amongst all the realities that I was experiencing of family pain and all that different stuff, there was a greater reality that seemed to be out numbering and overwhelming them all and that was overpowering them all and that that was this reality of a you know of a god who's on his throne and when everything else in this world is being shaken there's there is somewhere you can go that won't be shaken and that's the throne room of god it's not only a place of reverence it's a place of refuge Mm. and it's if you need someone somewhere unshakable to hang out in times of turbulence it's the perfect spot amen you you alluded a moment ago to to this that crossroads that I think all of us come to when we experience something hard, and it can be a major major life catastrophe. It can be even I mean stubbing your toe, yeah. and you're at a crossroads. Yeah, and and it can one path leads towards frustration, bitterness, complaint, gnawing on some irritation or you know anger, and the other path toward lifting it to the Lord, maybe sometimes with an honest yeah. pain and lament. But then entering into thanksgiving, trust, praise. Yeah, it, you describe that 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 moment. If, I mean, in terms of what do you think a, a person needs to think through when they're at that crossroads? Yeah, I mean, I think that worship helps you magnify the right things. Hmm. So instead of magnifying the problem, you get into a habit of magnifying the promise of God. Hmm. You know, and hmm. in, in instead of magnifying the the, the the kind of the fall or the failure or whatever happened to you, you magnify his faithfulness and you get into this pattern of making big the right things uh, you know and and realizing uh, another example would be that um so if I was sitting in the back of a car and someone was driving you know maybe I'm re- trying to read a book um, maybe I'm in an uber or something right um Sometimes you can get car motion sickness because what happens is your your senses are conflicting with each other. So your eyes are trying to tell you you're staying still, but your ear balance canal is telling you no, you're actually moving around real fast all over the place. Um, and one way you can combat that is to put your hand out of the window into the fast moving air. And what it does, it backs up what is true that you are actually moving at great speed hmm. and yeah. you know being moved around the place. And it and it gives further evidence, further weight to the actual truth and hopefully that sense of conflict and that that nausea will clear up and i think it's the same in the spiritual life sometimes that you can have these moments of spiritual nausea where i know god's good but why is this thing happening to me Mm -hmm. and and what Mm -hmm. you have to do in those moments you have to find a way to back up 
give further evidence, further weight to to what is deeply true, that Mm. God is in control. He is sovereign over your life. He does care about you. He hasn't exited the building. He hasn't lost the plot. He hasn't taken his eyes off you, actually. And there's a plan and there's a purpose. And if you you stick with him, you'll see what all the people throughout Scripture saw who stuck with him, that he doesn't let you down, that he is faithful time after time. And he'll he'll rescue even at the last minute sometimes, but he will rescue. He's the God of the turnaround. You get all these great messages of hope and life and truth that just change everything because they don't change the situation. But they, but they do change how you're um, journeying through that situation. Yeah. Yes. Well, I I so appreciate how you describe those things as they are they are there for us in Scripture, right? It's just as real as in your metaphor. The wind is is going past the car. It's it's there for us. Yeah. But our role is to make the choice to lean into the those things yes. and to receive them. You, you said earlier the phrase. I think the phrase was. consistently making big the right things, right? And by giving our attention to the right things, in essence, we're making them big in in our life. Yes. Yeah, because you're not, not, I mean, it's like with the the magnification of a telescope. With with a telescope, what you're doing, you're magnifying. You're not making the the actual thing bigger, but you're putting yourself in touch with a little more of the true reality. So you're seeing that star in the the night sky, um, which already is pretty astonishing, but when you look through that telescope, especially a powerful one, you get in touch with a little more of the true reality. And the true reality is that thing's a burning ball of gas, which is millions of Fahrenheit, and it's you know incredibly yes. it would hot. Would consume core. you if you got yeah. even and it, and miles it's of it. Crazily more yeah. active and massive than you could fathom. You're just seeing a little bit more of the true reality, mm-hmm. and I think that's what we do. It, whether it's reading scripture or whether it's diving into worship, mm-hmm. that's what we do. It helps us magnify. It helps us get a little more sense of the greatest reality yeah. that overrides yeah. all of the others. Yes, yes. Well, going a little further with the metaphor of, of heavenly bodies in your book, you talk about the moon and the, how the moon goes through cycles. That doesn't, you know, and so sometimes we see the full moon blazing in its glory. Other times we see kind of a, a half moon or even just a sliver. And then sometimes we see nothing at the time of the new moon. There's, yeah. We look up and our eyes see nothing. And yet we, we know, we're confident that, that it is there just as much all throughout those 28 days of its cycle. Yeah. And and that's um, that is how we experience God so often too. Is, is that that's what you're conveying? Yes. I'm track record. God's track record. Yes. Unblemished track record. Yeah. And yet it's sometimes amazing. we don't see him. No. So so that's when this is so important because you um I mean it can be a track record in scripture, but it can even just be in your own life. Like I found that so helpful sometimes. You come across some challenge or obstacle, or you're in some season and it's going on way too long than you think it should. And you're like, where is God in this? And you know, you, your head knows, I know God's with me, but your heart is like, ah, oh, I just need to have a breakthrough here. I need this to change. Mm-hmm. It's so helpful sometimes to look over your life. And I, I can look over four plus decades now and think, wait a minute, I can't really think of a time God let me down or didn't come through. I can mm-hmm. think of times it didn't happen at the moment I wanted it to. I can think of times it happened differently to what I thought was going to happen. But I, when I look over the tr- track record of my life, all I see is providence, faithfulness, wisdom, grace, kindness, uh, perfect timing, you know. Yeah. Well, and you in the book, you describe what you're, you're saying as, as a, almost a spiritual discipline, right? It's a... It's something that 
we come to the crossroads yeah. and then we have to choose because maybe part of our heart is pulling toward the, the gnawing on the frustration, the disappointment, the anger. Yeah. But the discipline part of it is choosing to give our attention to both God present as well as those, those remem- rememberings. Yeah. It, Again, it's um, William Cooper, a hymn writer he, from England. He, he has that great hymn, um, God moves in mysterious ways, his wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps on the sea and rises upon the storm. And he says in one verse, um, deep in unfathomable minds of never failing skill, he treasures up his bright designs and works his sovereign will. And then my favorite line in, in one verse, he says, um, we, we scan his work in vain, like we're trying to work out what he's doing. We scan his work in vain, but God is his own interpreter and he will make it plain. Mm. And, and it's... Uh, I mean, the whole hymn, by the way, if you want to go and look it up, is is a wonderful, um, he, he talks about the bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. Um, and it's interesting because you look at this guy and he's writing and it just seems like he's got such a handle on God's faithfulness, God's wisdom, God's timing, trusting God through tough times. And then you read about William Cooper's life and he actually struggled with manic depression. Mm-hmm. And, he, and it, until the end of his life, he could not, get rid of this dark cloud over his life. John Newton, who wrote Amazing Grace, was was his mentor and friend and pastor. And he walked with him through a lot of that. And he had some bright moments. And it and it's fascinating to see, like, this guy, he didn't really see the whole solution, resolve, oh, wow, everything's good now. He didn't see it here. I know he's seeing it there yeah. in heaven. And that is the other side of it. Not everything's going to have a neat bow on it, a silver lining on the cloud. Not, there are going to be things in life that you you think, I still don't get this one. I mean, I have things that happened in my childhood or I think I don't still don't quite understand. I wouldn't have volunteered to have gone that route. Yeah. But I think in the end, God is his own interpreter. He will make it plain. And that might yeah. be in heaven, though. Yeah. You know that and that so it's I think it's important when we talk about these themes to not be like everything's going to work out because sometimes on the earth not everything does quite work out. Um the caveat to that is you can see enough of Jesus in that moment for him to be sufficient to you, him to be enough for you. Um but you know, but it yeah. may not be that everything's oh well now that makes perfect yes. sense. Yes. Well, and with what you were saying about William Cowper and how Amidst those dark, dark nights that you can imagine him living through with the, with the depression, he was continually seeking to choose to lean towards Christ and towards hope and towards, for you know, lament, but then also hopefulness in all of his writing. And you think, had he just been someone with a natural, cheery disposition, yeah. he probably wouldn't have needed to grapple through things, yeah, right? That's but really it was good. that somehow, in the, both par- partially perhaps and because our world is broken, some of that brokenness in him yeah. was being drawn toward depression and, the, and that, and yet he was yet choosing to, yes. to lean towards hope and towards light through, through poetry, through worship. Love that. And I love the word choice because I hmm. think a lot of it is about choosing. Yeah. I think some of the most inspiring people I know or I've met are the people who've been through some of the hardest life circumstances you can imagine and yet they've made that choice to stay on the path of praise yes yes and 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 some of it's like how did you i mean some people i think that was so horrific i don't even really understand how you stayed on that Mm. path yeah but you did you stayed on the path where you're going to choose hope and joy and jesus and praise and you know that i cannot i think that must be the one one of the most beautiful 
offerings of worship that you can give to God. Yes. Is when you say, this doesn't make any sense to me. This hurts like like heck, you know, whatever. Yeah, but yeah. but you, I'm going to choose you above that. I'm going to choose to trust you and worship you and follow you through all of this. So, Matt, let's let's try to get really practical on what you're just saying because I do feel like far more than we often realize the most important things in all of life are those small decisions in our thought life when we're at the crossroad between, you know, on one side, complaint, anger, resentment, and on the other, leaning towards hope and expressing, I mean, first perhaps laying out why we're sorrowful, right? Lament, but yeah. then then hope. Yeah. And so let's, if you think of a moment where, like, let's just imagine you were planning to have a great getaway, yeah. you know, for the weekend with your wife and you're super excited and then that morning you come down with the flu and you're, so you're in bed, you're sick and you think we needed this break so bad. Yeah. And now instead I'm, I'm just feeling miserable and you're at that crossroads. How, how would you tr- hope that you would, what would you want to choose in that moment? Yeah. I mean, that example or, or anything like that, it's definitely tough. And it seems to be like having to make more, that that choice consistently i think in that moment you're describing if i chose to be right i'm going to trust god you know this this doesn't this is really annoying and frustrating what would happen is 30 minutes again i'd have to choose to trust god again uh-huh. Uh-huh. i think yes. the practical yes. side of it is i don't think it's like you say it and yeah. it's like a yeah. blanket once i think sometimes these things keep coming back and it's like oh Okay, but you back to that place. No, I've seen enough to trust him. I've seen enough to know he's good, he's great, he's in control, and I've seen enough to to make a good choice right now. My choice is to trust him and hopefully choose joy, you know, and and find him in this moment. Yes, yes. Well, and it is, I think, when we begin to see how a human being is formed, right, it is so often initially through choices that are intentionally made and then little, and, and often with much effort like at, for when you first the first time you choose the right thing in a moment like that it's, it's pretty darn difficult yeah. and you may have to then do it again, revisit it not just in 30 minutes every five minutes right yeah but then if if you do that repeatedly it, it steadily goes from this very difficult choice to an easier choice and from an easier choice to something that actually becomes semi-habitual yeah and then habit over time becomes actually kind of an embedded character that you do naturally and so it's it's not just something that maybe you do when you get your weekend dis- pans disappointed but it's yeah. actually when you're now facing cancer or you yeah. you lose someone you deeply love because your your heart and disposition is leaning that way, it becomes yes. that much easier to do that. And so often when you make that choice, you do find him in the middle of it. So an example would be, I've had moments where I've had to get up and lead worship and something really tough has happened and you're contending with that, but, you, but you're but you making that choice to enter in. And so often you're a couple of songs in, you realize, oh, I'm, I'm finding God in this moment. Mm. I'm, I'm, mm. He's meeting me in the middle of this. I, I, I drew near to him. And took my little step towards him, and now he's taking his almighty step towards me. And, you know, that that exchange that we hear about in Scripture is taking place. Yes. It, it is interesting you say that, Matt, because I was actually, I was going to ask you the question about how, um, when you're leading worship and you're about to go up there and you feel totally dry, yeah. right? And, and I think it's, you know, if I was like, 
filling out some spreadsheet or accounting. I, I feel like I can do that when I'm feeling dry. Yeah. But if I am trying to draw people in the presence of God and express worship to God, and if I'm not feeling it, I might feel like a, a hypocrite yeah. if I'm if I'm up there leading. And you're saying, well, well t- just tell us a little bit more about how you, you do approach that when you feel those feelings. Which I'm, yes. I imagine at times you do. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of it is that you you have to realize this, this isn't a feeling, the foundation of this isn't a feeling-based mm-hmm. thing. Mm-hmm. And the, often the feelings follow at some point. Yeah. But this this is sometimes just a gritty, gutsy choice. Like, I believe this is true. I believe he's worthy. I believe he's worthy where I, whether I feel like it or not. <laughs> Uh, I've, I believe he's worthy, um, whether I'm having a great day or having a bad day. And and so is, I mean, also realizing, okay, this isn't about me. Essentially, this is about God. This is me replying to to his goodness and greatness and his um, majesty and mercy. And, and so he is due this, you know, it, this is, sometimes we can make those moments about us, right? And, and but... I, this isn't on my terms, you know. This is this is about him, and and, and I think, but but you can never outgive him. You can never outgive the giver, you know, it, Jesus. You know, you cannot do it. I mean, and so often you'll find yourself you throw yourself into that moment of worship, and then all sorts of beautiful things happen, mm. and maybe you get a real sense of his presence, and or a new clarity about his greatness and sovereignty over your life in that moment. And everything feels a little bit easier to, to afterwards in that regard, or maybe you speak to someone, something amazing happened for them in that moment. So that's my experience. Mm. So often, yes, is that. yeah, that's so good, Matt. So, do you would would you point to any other um, habits or rhythms within your life that you have intentionally chosen that you feel like have helped to cultivate this kind of heart? You know, I mean, what we're talking about here is. Uh, it, I mean, it, it, you've described it as a discipline of, in a sense, remembering and of choosing to do that. But that, I, I wonder if there are other choices that you have tried to lean into over the course of your life, perhaps things that have become habits or rhythms of your day or your week that you feel like have played an important role in keeping your heart near to Christ. I mean, all, all the main and plain things, really. I have to be honest, be, being out under some beautiful part of creation is very good mm. for my soul. Yes, me too. I was just up, um, we were talking earlier, I was out in Northern California, about 5,000 feet up, and we went and saw the stars one night, away from all the city lights. You could see the Milky Way. You, it was just astonishing. And I just realized this is not just a treat for my eyes. This is a treat for my soul. Yes. Like, this yes. is really is. restorative yes. and and just energizing and... Um, I think a lot of it for me has been the Psalms, even from way back in my teenage years. Just the, the Psalmists have really been my teachers, you know, um, and help you navigate those. And I, and I just find so often in those moments that that they, the writers, I really identify with these writers, and as as did Jesus, right? I mean, yes, the Psalms. Yes. Would have been the hymn book of Jesus yeah. as he walked the earth and his last words yeah. before he departed. I, I mean, he first died, imagine yeah. he's basically quoting from the hymn book on the cross. Yeah, yeah. And and even before that, in in the Last Supper, um, you know, it says that at the end of, of that, which would have been the Passover meal, right? They 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 sung a hymn and they went out to the Mount of Olives, and and so that last hymn is very likely the great Halal, which is Psalm one three six, and. 
it says in that in that psalm, I think it's something like 26 times, um, his love endures forever. So you think about that. Jesus knows what's coming. The shadow of the cross is falling over that meal. And he stands up and with his disciples, he sings in trust and in devotion to his father, his love endures forever. Mm-hmm. And that's an amazing example yeah. of, of the wow. psalms showing yes. up as an as, as, as important soundtrack. Yeah. Well, Matt, it would, I, I know you would point to the grace of God in all of this, and it is, right? His hands are underneath every choice we make. His hands are over, uh, you know, over top of everything we do. Um, and yet, in, in a mysterious sense, he invites us to certain choices, and you have chosen to soak yourself in the Psalms, um, and, it, and it, the fruit of that is good. Like it says in Psalm 1, right, when we meditate yeah. on his word day and night, then yeah. we become like trees planted by water that love yield that. fruit in season. Yeah, I love that. Absolutely. Mm. So, so we got to wrap up here in just a minute, but I, I would be curious if you'd have a thought, if you were able to talk with yourself, go back in time to, to young Matt, you're setting out and, and maybe at the beginning of your, your music career where you're, you know, you're going to be heading into some wonderful adventures, but also the, the, the strains of the, the, the public, you know, public attention and the, the lights and the ways in which uh, celebrity can have harmful effects on our soul at times. What what would you what advice would you give yourself in terms of these things we're talking about now? Wow, that's a great great question. Um, oh man, that's, you sprung that one on me. I mean, honestly, there was a great thing. Uh, a guy called Francois Fenelon. He was one of the advisors to one of the spiritual advisors, one of the King Louis of France years and years back. And he said something, he said, uh, make yourself little in the depths of your heart. Mm. I thought that's a wonderful mm. little motto for anyone's life, especially if you're up in front of people, especially if you're you know, handling some of the things that you mentioned, make yourself little in the depths of your heart. And that, that, yes. that's, that's probably the uh, little piece of advice I would give to myself. Great word. And, and good for all of us, even if we're not up on the you know, main stage, that, that there is a sense in which all of us get pulled towards making ourselves larger than, than we are. And there's yeah. a wonderful lightness and freedom in, in yeah. knowing how small we are. Absolutely. Blessed be your name in the land that is plentiful Where your streams of abundance flow Blessed be your name To hear straight from Matt these thoughts and small choices and habits that God has used in Matt's life to cultivate a spirit of planting, this deep down confidence in God and in the good that he intends to bring in us and through us, even when everything we're experiencing feels like burial. Blessed be your name in the land that is plentiful where your streams of abundance flow, blessed be your name. Blessed be your name, 
when I'm found in the desert place. Though I walk through the wilderness, blessed be your name. Matt wrote that. He sings that. And he lives it. And I pray we will learn to do so also. My hope is that you and I, all of us, will choose many of these same seemingly small choices that Matt described. That in times of plenty, we will name God's good gifts and give thanks for them and praise him in that. And also, in times of struggle and hurt, that we'll lay those before the Lord too, in prayer and in songs sometimes, learning to do this more fully from the Psalms and from the great hymns and from faithful musicians like Matt as well. Well, that certainly is a key part, I believe, of what it means to live well in our hurting world, confident that even those things that feel like burial are ultimately, in God, a planting that will someday yield a harvest. And speaking of that, I want to invite you to the CAFO 2022 Summit in Atlanta, September 28th through 30, where our theme is, of course, Planted, Not Buried. We'll be joined together there with so many wonderful followers of Christ who want to walk this road also. People who want to live lives of pouring out, serving vulnerable children and families in the name of Jesus. People who want to speak and even sing together about the really good and the really hard of this world. And people who want to live all of this out very wisely and well. Let's learn more at kfo.org slash summit. God bless you, my friends. You've been listening to Justice and the Inner Life with Jed Menefit, a production of the Christian Alliance for Orphans. To learn more about the Alliance, visit kfo.org.